Welcome to the summer series of Culture Factor. I'm Holly Shannon. When I spoke at this year's NFTMYC, I used my downtime to interview the experts about their engagement in the Web3 space. We've talked on Culture Factor a lot about what Web3 is and how it's being used, but I wanted to try and understand why. Almost every person I spoke to had a similar reason for being part of Web3. They all wanted to help fulfill our most basic, fundamental, evolutionary need, connection. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to explore the methods that artists, collectors, and businesses use to bring about connection. I'll break down the whys, not just the whats, of this new digital space we find ourselves in. Today's interview is going to start off a little differently. I want to share with you a post that I did on LinkedIn for episode three, where we dove into trust. And I think it's quite relevant, actually, and it'll make sense in a little bit. So I did a poll, and I asked people, first off, is Bitcoin bogus? And are you annoyed by Web3 and the metaverse and think it's fake? So the overarching question and the poll that I ran was, do you trust anything about Web3? Well, interestingly, my community trusted blockchain above all else in that poll. So I asked about cryptocurrency, blockchain, creators, and NFTs. And 75% of the responses said blockchain. They had very little trust in crypto and NFTs and even less in creators. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you um, some of those posts because it's very interesting everybody's perspective. So a shout out to Corey Cachola. Um, He feels that people will continue to call Bitcoin and Web3 fake because at the end of the day, they are stories. Um, Fiat, which is like US dollars, gold, borders, and banks are also stories that they've been told longer than the stories that we talk about now. So they're accepted by more people. And that has been a conversation that we've had before here on Culture Factor, that you have to have trust in the system and that takes time and it takes people. So these are all new concepts. And so it'll take time and massive quantities of people to adopt it. So one of the other people who said um, he only had trust in Bitcoin. Uh, He also recommended the Bitcoin standard um, for a book for people to to take a peek at. Um, Also, there was a gentleman by the name of Alan Hale, and he felt the opposite of Christopher, that Bitcoin was pure speculation and driven by a handful of people like, like Elon Musk, for example. And I get that. I think that um, it's really hard for people to adopt and trust something that is pretty speculative right now. And we have watched it go up and down. Um, It will continue to go up and down and be a part of our landscape. But I think that we have to adopt everybody's opinions regardless of what generation they're from, by the way, because everybody brings different knowledge to the table. Another shout out goes to Andy Greenwald, um, and he feels that the metaverse is materially not really different from the matrix that you put on a, a set of goggles and you live in this kind of fake world and that it's very elusive. Um, he's really bothered that we distance ourselves further and that technology can also uh, be negative in that it provides a silo for us to live in and that there's a bigger cost to the world and a lack of real engagement. And um, he truly believes that um, we need to be tethered more closely to our real community, to our towns. Um, And he, to put specifically, he said, mobility and technology have estranged us from our places and community and towns, which are the atomic unit of a democracy. I think that is very powerful and I wanted to definitely put that conversation out here on my show. So with all that said, 
Um, I want to come back to that little piece that broke my heart, that there's so little trust in creators. And that's what makes this interview coming up so important. You'll learn why Natalie and her husband, Patrick, had to undox themselves when their NFT project went south. So let's jump in. Hello, Culture Factor family. I am with Natalie Hereford today. She is one half of the team of Wunks, uh, the other half being her husband, Patrick Hereford. But today we are just going to talk with Natalie. Um, they also have a tech platform called called Blam.io. So I think we're going to be talking a little bit from the artist side as well as the process side of creation. Yeah. So Hello and welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to be here and to get to chat. So if anybody hears any screams in the background, that's just my three-year-old playing Grace. That's okay. <laughs> that's, it's, it's perfectly fine for, for my family because this summer series was launched at NFT NYC. And so they got a lot of background noise. So hopefully yes. we are all a forgiving group that life yes. intervenes and we're experiencing each other in it. Yes. So why don't we, um, maybe we should go back a little bit because I'm assuming the NFT uh, collection Wonks came after you created Blam.io and, and that was probably created uh, for a specific reason or, or an avenue. So do you want to take us there? Yeah, sure. No, absolutely. So uh, my husband and I, Patrick, we've been involved with crypto and the blockchain for some time. My husband's a technologist. I think he's always loved the technology portion and the um, just the revolutionary aspects of what the blockchain can be for people and uh, for society in general. And so he's always kind of dabbled in that. And uh, last summer, he became really interested in actually learning how to write the language, to write these contracts. And he was involved um, in, I think, a couple different forums online with Discord. And he was seeing a lot of people at the time being taken advantage of from like a contract side. There was a lot of, I think, you know, money being uh, thrown around and people being like having not great contracts written. So he decided that he wanted to learn that code. And that was kind of how I, when I first came into it, I was like, what are you talking about? Blockchain and NFTs were just launching. And I didn't get it. I didn't understand what the big hubbub was. I was like, how much for these JPEGs? And then he decided to do a summer project with our kids. So we have three boys. We have a now a 10-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-year-old as of tomorrow, <laughs> turning four. And he did a little pixel. Um, we all did actually. It was a it was a family project, a pixel a pixel turtle project to benefit some charity. And he was learning about um, the coding, the generative art coding aspect of it. And we all made these little art elements together. And when we got into it with the generative art piece we realize that it can be really complicated to do it, to do it well. And the contracts can be complicated to do it well. And at that point in time, there wasn't any platforms that were available to kind of handle that side of it for you, the contract and the art generation. And Patrick immediately saw something that was exciting, I think from a tech side. And then I started to understand it when I started to understand the art. And I think the revolutionary aspect when you're talking about royalties for artists. And I've always been really involved with um, equity issues and equity to access. And that's my, my background, one of my passions. And I came into this from a managerial consulting background as well. So I could really see how it would work from a revolutionary aspect for, for income or for sustainability or for um, generational wealth building for artists. Because I've seen artists and creators time and time again be left out of that equation. So we started building Blam last summer after we had launched our little turtle collection, which generated a little bit of <laughs> money for charity. And our kids had a blast with it. And then we ended up along the way meeting people and we came into the founding team of Bucks. And so we entered into that as through the tech side initially. And um, 
that was how we first came into this particular project. Now, what happened was Blunks was our first big launch, like test of Glam. And it didn't go right. So mm-hmm. we ended up, um, we had initially launched Blunks. So Blunks is a all-female profile picture collection, 6,000 female punks. So that's the Blunks. And we kind of wanted to flip that crypto you know, punk script on its head and do something a little bit different. And I really loved just the, the timeliness of it and the message about that and was excited for the collection. And when we initially launched, it was January 2nd. It was a Sunday evening. It's like burned <laughs> into my memory. I was handling the kids. Patrick was handling the, um, the contract part and our former legacy partners were doing some of the Twitter marketing and discord and things of that nature. And the, the former artist was a part of that as well. And um, we launched and there was a bug in my husband's code. It was in the iterator function. And what happened when you would go to mint is that it would spin, spin, spin the gas and then fail the transaction. So in a matter of, in a matter of just a few minutes, we had numerous failed transactions uh, and we had burned through about 14 ETH of community money. These were small investors. And this is when uh, ETH was like 4,000 <laughs> practically. Uh, it was a lot. And like, uh, I was putting the kids to bed and my husband just wasn't coming out. And I po- poked my head and I was like, how's it going? And he was like, not well. And he didn't know what, what was wrong. And he did not emerge from the office like the rest of the night. And the next morning I was like, what happened? What's going on? He said, there was a bug in the code. Like I spent all night trying to figure out what it was. It was two lines of code, two lines of code with this iterator function. It was actually an error that other large projects had since repeated. And he actually helped triage um, it's definitely a very web three kind of, you know, contract issue. And um, he, I think he was just devastated. Of course, we had a lot of angry, angry people in our discord. Um, our legacy partners, I think, weren't too sure what to do. And Patrick just wanted to make it right. Like we were in this to try to, you know, to bring equity to the space, not cause people to lose money. And a lot of people lost a lot of money. And we did not have 14 ETH just to simply refund them. We had three ETH of our own personal in the ecosystem at the time. And that was far away from 14. And, um, and he said, I, you know, he didn't know what to do, but he wanted to make it right. And I said, well, we can refund people, but we have to rerun the project. Like when we're liquid, we could absolutely refund people, but we have to rerun the project. And he was like, everybody's angry you know, how do we do that? And that was when I kind of put my managerial consulting hat on. I had my like crisis management, Olivia Pope moment, I guess. You could say. <laughs> and, and I had said, well, the first thing we have to do is dox ourselves. So what I didn't mention is at this point in time, we were not doxed. I was not doxed. He was not doxed. Our legacy team was not doxed. And that was very common at the moment, that was always something that didn't sit well with me with this mm-hmm. space too. Because I agree. as a woman and mm-hmm. as a business professional, I like these face. I can see your face. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, a, I'm the same way. I I will not yes. enter into an undoxed project yes. at all. I won't yes. advise on one, um, yep. and I won't uh, bring brands into something like that. I and I totally agree. And that like when we first entered the space, that was kind of just the way that it was done like that was kind of the way that it was presented to us and that was and we knew we would have to dox ourselves with the platform obviously but when you're talking about a project I'm saying a project in quotation marks I think people had a different expectation at that time there wasn't as much of a call for transparency and um, and some of the really large projects that were successful did not have transparency at the time Mm -hmm. so that was just the way that people thought it should be done And I told Patrick, I said, well, we have to dox ourselves and we have to take responsibility for this. You're a professional. I'm a professional. It was an error. Like, let's show them how we can correct it. Let's dox ourselves. So we went to our our former partners, our legacy um, founders, and we said, 
we want to dox ourselves on owing people a bunch of money <laughs> and rerun the project. And they said, good for you. <laughs> like that's, Right. We, if you wanted to do that, they supported us in that decision. They did not want to take the risk and dox themselves. But if the project went well, they wanted, obviously, their share of our original agreement. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about it and we said, okay, we'll take the risk. So we doxed ourselves on the mistake. We went into the Discord. We spent five days talking to every angry person <laughs> in there. We came up with a plan. We went to our community. The plan involved, um, we ended up cutting the collection. It was initially 10,000 wonks. We went to 6,000 based on a community recommendation. We also did a priority refund list of our uh, three ETH. So anybody that wanted a refund right away and to leave um, got that money. So that went out the window. And anybody that stuck with us would get their refund um, would get any once they had initially transacted successfully and they would get two additional free wugs airdropped once we were liquid enough to do so. And um, we spent five days just talking to people and we ended up and we did a screen share as well um, of us fixing the code. My husband walked through it so people could tell he is a you know this is his profession and it was an error and anybody that knows tech knows that bugs happen, errors happen. Generally, you have a team that helps triage. It's not just one person with all of that weight on them. Um, but it was in this in this case. And, you know, he, he was definitely able to demonstrate that he had, you know, the knowledge and capacity to fix that. So we ended up relaunching. It was five days later on a Friday. Our kids were getting sick with COVID at the time. We oh, my God. When it night. rains, it pours. It, it was insane. And we ended up getting like word of mouth kind of viral traction. And we just went bananas. Like the project went bananas and sold out within two and a half hours. Wow. And it was frenetic. It was like nothing I have ever experienced. And my husband's code performed beautifully. It was like this moment of redemption for him. And, you know, we immediately sold out. And it was, it wasn't something that we were having a party. It was like people wanted their refund and their airdrops. So we did, we did like an online like Google sheet where we would manually did, we manually did over 900 airdrops to the community. We refunded everyone. We spent the next, you know, two days kind of doing that essentially. And then our former legacy partners wanted their cut and wanted to exit. And that was exactly what they did. And then we were free to then um, kind of do a roadmap how we wanted to, which we ended up taking 35% of our royalties. We have a very low royalty of about 2%, but 35% we put into a women in leadership fund to help pair um, funding with our tools. Because we Blam is a no-code NFT generation platform. So we handle art generation, we handle contract deployment, we handle all of those things. So we were pairing our engineering tools with funding to help um, have new emerging voices come into the space, essentially, and have that equity of access. And then we ended up matching those royalties. We took um, part of our own retainment and matched those royalties into a community fund for our community members and started a community wallet and have um, you know, a system there for community initiatives for for purchases or holder benefits or whatever the community might need that's there um and then i ended up taking over the art so our artist you know initially was part of it and and also had decided not to stay on with the project once it was done um and i what i love about pixel art is that i feel like it is accessible i always say it's one of those art forms that you i've always said that i was like artsy but uh, it's always been a hobby, not necessarily something I ever thought about doing in a professional capacity, but pixel art is accessible. You look at it and you think, I could do that. And I always say, you probably can't, <laughs> but <laughs> you probably, it's a great way to enter into it. So 
we ended up, um, we wanted to do honorary ones where we were honoring women in the Web3 space that were actually there doing the work, not just the celebrities that were getting um, a light, you know, shined on them every single day. We wanted to really honor people that were contributing to the space and there was a need for art. So I took over the art and started making custom wunks for our honoraries. And it's been so much fun and super, super rewarding. Um, and we've gotten a lot of really great traction with our honorary wunks and our customs, which people really love too. So it's been it's been a really wild journey, honestly, <laughs> especially with yes. the market. Um, but it's one that I know our experience, I feel like as both the technical side and the, you know, having a collection as well, uh, that it has been, I think it's informed both. Like we can see both sides, like both those sides of the space of NFT collections in an entirely different way than a lot of, I think, folks do. And um, it, it's been extremely rewarding. So that's that's a little bit of our, our origin story. <laughs> no, this is a, so, an incredible origin story. Incredible. Yeah, so it's not just I'm an artist or I'm a bit like right now, I feel like I'm a Jane of all trades when it comes to our platform and the collection. So let me, all right. So we, we heard about all that. Uh, so you, you essentially... I shouldn't say you were building in public, you were fixing in public, which is really, really cool. Um, and I think, like you said, you know, a lot of other companies uh, run into this. Uh, it's common. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really great that you just came out, you were transparent, watch us fix this in public kind of thing. Watch us um, deal with community in public and and correct what we did and and come out on the other side. Um, so so bravo and brava for for getting there. Um, what I'd love to dive into is you uh, sort of that the the inner part. Like I know you use the word rewarding. Um, you also claim to be a hobbyist artist, um, which usually people tell me they're either not creative or it's their hobby. And I think we all have this fear of saying that it's also what we do for a living, you know, yes. because people don't see art that way. So yeah. as an artist, Natalie, um, yes. I won't call you a hobbyist as an artist, especially in the area of pixel art, which you find very fun and accessible. What does that do for you? What is the, what do you hope the buyer, the collector, whoever's minting it, what do you hope they get from it? Well, I feel like there, I feel like with pixel art, especially with wonks, that there's this really wonderful way of representing yourself where it's not a lot of the, it's a different way of representing yourself with a PFP versus some of the other collections that maybe have um, traits that are, uh, can be very exaggerated or overly feminized um, or maybe pixel art is one of those that it's kind of neutral. I don't, in a, in, but in a, this really wonderful way where you're, you're actually taking an interpretation of somebody and breaking it down into squares, which is, sorry, I have a little frog in my throat. I'm going to take a sip of coffee here. Um, but that's one thing that I feel like it's so appealing to people because I can have a representation of myself and a representation of you as well from the same base model with these little one, you know, a one pixel nose and lips and eyes, but somehow you can kind of capture the essence of that person and the person sees themselves in that. So for the custom wonks, especially for the honorary wonks, um, I often have, like, we've been really trying to work one-on-one -on -one with the people that we choose for an honorary and I have a picture of them and I, I do several and kind of let the person choose which one represents them more. I think my art style and I'm trying to own that <laughs> that uh, moniker of artists more um, definitely but my art style because I have a lot of hair it's very curly so I'm very focused on styles of hair and that can be 
that can be challenging when you're talking about pixels, like capturing texture oh, or capturing yeah. color or things of that nature. So the, the honorary ones, I generally spend a lot of time trying to get, trying to capture those things in kind of this rudimentary form. But it's wonderful because I've had people of all different races and ages and um, backgrounds that they can identify with a pixel uh, PFP of themselves, maybe more so than they could something that has some of those, um, some of the, there's some typical traits that I think we've seen in a lot of PFP collections um, yeah. styled now that there are some similarities there, but it can be very youthful, overly youthful, I would say as well. Um, if I was being um, Crit critical, but not in a pejorative way, but it can be very youthful. It can be very um, overly feminized or, and I think sometimes it's harder for people to see themselves, especially as you get older or depending on, you know, your, your particular background, it might be harder to see yourself within those pictures, but with a pixel picture, it's just it, people automatically see it as an interpretation. It's, um, and I love that. Yeah, I, lo I love that too, Natalie. I think what's so interesting is, you know, for forever, uh, women have been objectified in in art and have have their image um, only a certain way. And now that we use social media to create content, um, there are all sorts of filters to help us continue that, yes. um, to continue the carrying on that trend of the super perky little nose, the contour makeup, the, you know, changing the youthfulness. And look, I have fun playing with those filters too. You know, it's, it's for fun that I use it for, um, you know, I, I don't use it for my like day to day cause it's just not realistic. Like I don't go up on stage to speak and say, Oh, wait a minute. Can you add this filter? Like that would happen, right? Um, I think we have to be realistic. And I love that the pixelated art allows people to be playful without taking it all the way. Look at me when I was 20. <laughs> and maybe yeah. they're 50. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I think we've honored women from from 21 to in their 50s and they can see they all have something that they see within the pixel art that speaks speaks to them and that's such a to me there's just so much power within that too and I've like I did a custom for myself and for some of the team members as well and then I recently uh, started I was having some customs to benefit um, a reproductive rights charity that uh, they were trying to do an online space to to gather some funds for Planned Parenthood. And I said, hey, anybody that donated, I would happily make them a custom and we could airdrop them to that and or airdrop them that. And um, I, I really enjoy it. I really do. I love the interaction with other people. I think I love giving back as well. Like it's something that I feel like just enhances the community nature of the space. And I love seeing, I love seeing the pink, our pink wonks out there. <laughs> So, I think it's great. I love it. So I really, you know, it wasn't, this is not what I expected, but I feel like I'm right where I need to be. I, I love that you say it that way. Hey, Culture Factor family. I have been enjoying rosé over this very hot summer and Harmony Wine has been my newest addiction. My friend Matt Harmon has not only created this delicious rosé from Provence, but it has these beautiful notes of strawberry and floral and it's dry and super yummy and he put it in the prettiest of cans that you can take to your picnic or a barbecue. Matt and I agree that the best rosé comes from the south of France. That's probably why we're friends. And he is going to be giving you, my Culture Factor family, 20% off. Your Harmony Wine link is in the show notes. So you went into NFTs for a very different reason, and you've come out on the other side. What, without using the word rewarding, because like that's how you feel, but like what would be three things you would say that it gave you? 
Well, so this has allowed me to kind of bridge all the different parts of myself. And I didn't, I, I don't know, I might be going more than three. I'm not just list, listing. That's out. all right. That's all right. I, I apologize. I am not, a, I'm not succinctly listing three things, but it, but like, I have the part of me that I, I think I love the, you know, the equity of access, that community organizing piece of it. It's allowed me to tap into that, to, to give back whether it's the Women in Leadership Fund, um, or I was a speaker at the Blockchain for Social Good and um, helped get that conference off the ground. So it's allowed me to, to bridge into those avenues as well as this um, professional side. So prior to this, I've been home with my kids. I shelved my career when my oldest was uh, about 14 months and we knew we would be expanding our family. And I've always had that itch to go back, but we've been in the thick of things. And this has allowed me to bring back that professional side that I didn't know if I would have a chance to do because I'm a woman of my certain, of a certain age. And I've had this gap time in my resume. And often women are sidelined with, with that because it's considered that, you know, you haven't grown as a professional or you're, you know, your skills might be rusty or whatever of the thousands of things that women are subjected to all the time in our professional lives. I didn't know if I would ever be able to have that part of me back. And it's allowed me actually to excel in that realm. And then it's allowed me also to express this whole creative part, which I would say probably has been undermined in my in my life like I think as a woman like I do a lot of things in our house with our kids and projects and painting but it, it's always people call it crafty which I feel like that can be that pejorative word like there's not there's not any um, acknowledgement of skill or artistry it's kind of it's degraded with that. I don't know if that makes any. Oh, no, I, I, I'm right there with you because I, I was a jewelry designer and um, before and you know, uh, an entrepreneur. So most people, um, even, even good friends of mine have categorized it as, you know, a hobby versus yeah. a business. So it's, it's very yeah. interesting. I, my jewelry business was a six figure business, but apparently it was a hobby to some it, people. Uh, yes, <laughs> Ab absolutely. Go figure. That's, I feel like that's something that women particularly have to traverse time and time again. So I've, I've been able to kind of tap into all of these different parts of myself, I think, as a woman, a human being, a professional, um, an artist. <laughs> I've been able to, you know, Own tap it. all of... Own all, it, Natalie. Yes, I'm, I'm doing that now. Someone was like, well, you are an NFT artist. And I was like, I, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. And, but I, I love that it's been able to also, um, I've been able to work with my husband. I think he and I work incredibly well together too. Uh, and so that's brought this just richness to our um, marriage and our lives and our partnership together. And um, I also feel like, you know, beyond that rewarding, mm -hmm. it's been, I feel like I've had a chance to have some significance. Like it's mm -hmm. really been... Um, like the, we, we ended up actually funding one of the, the first project, women in leadership project that we funded. Uh, we gave three ETH to a group of women that were launching. It's a profile picture collection, um, but it was to benefit um, the creation of a course of control and domestic violence courses for both like private and police. And the, one of the women that's at the head of it is a PhD in criminal psychology out of um, Australia. And the moment that we could bring something like that new, like we took them from funding to Genesis collection, and now they're minting their generative, like that was that project, like we helped get them there. Like we were helped part of their journey. And it was just this moment of incredible, just like you felt significance within that and mm -hmm. helping somebody else, you know, realize their dream. And this is a team that is, um, you know, worldwide. They're in Romania and Australia and the United States. And we were a small part of their journey. And that is something that I never thought I would be able to have that type of an impact so soon. And we were able to, I think we funded them on March 1st. So that was 
what, less than two months after we minted that we were able to go from our mint to making a difference in somebody else's life like that. And that was just, it was a powerful moment for me. And I'm, I really love these types of connections. Like even sitting here and talking with you today, this is not the type of conversation I've had for the last eight years. It's been a lot of like, you know, mommy has to potty now or whatever, <laughs> you know, talking about myself. And like, it's just been a different, and I've, I've, I've loved the, I have met so many women here, especially women that have been, um, you know, so intelligent and so collaborative and all really looking to build something that is truly, truly different. And there's a desire for that. It's been so refreshing. Like it's been one of the most refreshing experiences coming, especially mm -hmm. from a corporate background. I've never seen this level of collaboration and camaraderie and on like honesty as well. And we're all tapping into our own strengths and not trying to necessarily reinvent the wheel. And that's, I've always said, we're, you're, you're better together. You're better, you know, you're stronger together. And um, I've, it's been a lot of work. <laughs> it hasn't always been the easiest. Um, I think, especially with the market, market conditions as it is now, you have to, you know, deal with criticism and kind of ride that wave and ride it out. But it's been, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything from the mistake to now. I feel like it was kind of meant to unfold the way it did. Well, I think, um, having that mistake, um, flatten you and then being able to rebuild yourself, um, first of all, talks of, of your resilience and your resilience as a couple, um, and being very, um, transparent about it, very forward about it. Um, but still plowing through, I think people probably find you more accessible because you're yeah. not talking bro language. You're not talking rocket ship and, you know, yeah. you know, floor price and sell out, you know, like you're not talking that talk. You're saying, yeah. Hey, this is how it gets built. We fucked it up the first time. We figured out how to fix it. And actually, yeah. I think it's better to partner with us because we know how to manage a crisis, whereas yeah. a lot of people don't know how to do that. Women inherently are very good at that. Yes. Um, so I, I'm really excited for you. Like, I think... Um, yeah. I think you've tapped into something like you, your clients must see that vulnerability, like they yeah. see themselves in you because maybe they're raising families or they're on a venture, you know, a business venture with, you know, a family member. Um, and, and you put like your heart out on your sleeve. Like, I think people admire that. Yeah. Well, I, I vulnerability, I think is, vulnerability is one of the key words. I felt like there was a moment where I was living like a Brene Brown Ted talk, like my, myself, like it was like straight out of her book. But, um, you know, for, for our platform, the people that are coming to us, like we're not, it's my husband and I that are, are mostly running everything right now. We are a nimble team. We are a small team. We are not VC backed. Like it is, it's us. And we don't really have an interest in building a web two monolith in a web three space. We really want to do things, I think, differently from the contract side. So the people that we're working with, they want to have that face-to-face -face contact. They want to feel like that they have, it's their contract that they're owning, but they want to feel like there's some at least partnership or trust that's there. So uh, a lot of a lot of the people that we've been working with, um, with Blam have really gravitated towards the fact that we're, you have kind of this boutique personalized experience with us. It's different. And um, many people come to us with, you know, custom requests. So they have a vision for their project or whatever that might be, but we can really understand, understand that. And I know one of the skills for me that's come out is like my husband's definitely the technologist, but I have a very good understanding of the technology. And I often like translate <laughs> Mm -hmm. I feel like, like I can put it into like artist terms or business terms in a way that I think, uh, you know, I came into this as kind of that layman that I was like, you know, what, 
what's a mint and what happens with with this and your wallet and just you know it was I had to kind of learn that vernacular and then apply it to my knowledge base mm-hmm. so um so we work really well as a team like that but um for the last for the last two months well not two months two quarters I should say uh you know, our platform has been exclusive to our, our Wunk holders. That's been part of our utility while we were in our beta phase. And we're now kind of growing out of that and have been, um, you know, looking for other, we really want it to be purpose-led because we have, uh, we kind of have the give back um, to our community fund from our, from our BLAM fees that are only post-mint. And we're starting a nonprofit to house both our women in leadership fund and the community fund as well. I don't think, I think a lot of people don't understand all of the legal and like accounting nuances that can go into things like funds and DAOs. And there's a lot of terminology that is thrown around and a lot of projects and collections that launch that don't necessarily have that scaffolding behind it. And it's been such a fast moving space that especially when you're talking about these larger collections, they're definitely businesses. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. And I think a lot of people, uh, and I love the way you you said it, build the scaffolding and that, that you've done that. I think a lot of projects don't do that. They just talk about their utilities. They just talk about the roadmap and they have some pretty shiny presentations and documents they make on Canva, which I could make today if I wanted to. And they, you know, make those documents available to people um, to create the facade of of what's happening. Um, but they're not it's a house of cards, right? Like uh, uh, that's why you keep hearing about rug pulls and and things like that because it's there is no scaffolding. It is just pretty pictures um, or conversation and undoxed, you know, avatars and people. I think in the beginning kind of bought into that, like, wow, this is just something really, you know, different. It almost felt like so gamified, like they were in the middle of the game and nobody stopped to think of, you know, well, what happens when that, like, house of cards falls? And it does. It's done, it's done it a lot. So I, I love that you have taken a very thoughtful approach to what you're building and you're helping other people realize that and um, and you're able to explain it to them in a different language than your husband might share it, um, you know, because it's hard. The, the technical side is hard if that's not, you know, your daily speak. Um, you know, I had um, an interesting couple on my show in um, season three uh, Elizabeth and Jason Franklin, who created the Dreamy Geeks, and they had a social good aspect to it, but also a husband and wife team, which I think you would find interesting, a marriage of code and art. Um, yeah. And they helped me, we collaborated on my project uh, for um, Culture Factor. So you know, she helped with the art, he helped with the code, we, you know, realized the different traits, like you were talking about hair, and, you know, that type of thing. Um, And it is a a big process, I wanted to go through it for my show, because I felt like I talked all season about an education and NFTs, um, and blockchain technology, but I felt like going through it, you know, was really important too. Um, And, there's, it's very rare. You guys are rare, you know. They are, as are you and, and your husband, Patrick. Like, it's very rare to meet couples that build together, come to the table with very different skill sets, and um, are, are still married. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we complement each other well. Like, that's what I, we, we challenge each other in a, good way like where you want to grow together uh, but we also complement each other well so um that's something that i'm very well that the ding if you hear that in the background that was actually him checking in on me to make sure he's Aww. as he's as he's in boston for work but um yes yeah, so that's we're definitely i feel i feel very fortunate actually to have that partnership 
That is nice. Let me ask you one uh, other question, um, and then I'll let you go to your baby. Um, I saw a video on Twitter of you videotaping your uh, Times Square experience. You were up on the billboards of Times Square, which is, you know, a breathtaking experience and a taking away of the breath. (laughs) Yeah. Not just for the people out there that are looking around at it. Um, What what did that feel like for you, Natalie? it was incredible. I think it was one of those moments where, I mean, that the woman that was um, videotaping me was this wonderful woman named um, Chrissy that I met at VCon and we've become fast friends and uh, she loves the space. And then we were up on the billboard because of Farah and Vizmesh and that was lovely. And I was meeting and they've been just incredible. And then I was also meeting at like right next to me was uh, Rena from Gala Girls. And that was one of the projects that we had funded. So there's all of, it was like this moment where mm-hmm. we were seeing art from our collection up in Times Square with thousands of people around. And it was just this pure, just like joy, like adulation. I was just excited to be, and I felt so grateful. Like there was just this like humble, like, gratitude with joy because I would have never dreamed, especially during COVID that has been rocking everybody's world for the last two years. But if you, if you said to me last summer that I would have been cut to a year in Times Square with these new incredible people in my life that, um, you know, I think I bonded with and invested in a totally different way. Like we've formed gave me goosebumps. It, but it was like it was just this moment where I, I w- when I was in New York, I there were several moments that I got I became just very overwhelmed, like emotionally, when you realize how fortunate I I was to be there and to be in those rooms with those people and experiencing that that this moment in time where you have art and technology and it was I felt just so utterly grateful like it was just and my husband was at home with our three kids like letting me have this opportunity like being my partner in that too that was the longest I've ever been away from my children so there were just all of these these things that I was very these elements that I was so just aware like highly aware of these pieces coming into place for this particular moment to like happen and it just it was all of the emotions, I guess. Well, so, uh, I will was, tell you, you, you gave me goosebumps and my eyes watered while you were talking. You're such a beautiful person, Natalie. And I, um, I, th- I think, uh, you know, as difficult as COVID has been, and I won't be, belittle it in any way, um, a lot of innovation has been spurned from it. Um, and I, too... Um, have innovated through it. I, I was lucky enough to be able to do that. And I um, every day find it very humbling to to say that I was on stages speaking at NFT NYC. I wouldn't have thought that a year ago either. Um, yeah. I, I didn't get to see your art up on the, the ticker there in... Um, in Times Square, I, I, I got to see it afterwards uh, when everybody was posting, and, and I'm sad that we didn't meet when we were there, but I am so um, happy that Farah brought us together because I feel yeah. like we are not done together, you and I. Yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> and Farah has been just this incredible light and supporter. I, it's, I'm, she amazes me. She's an enigma wrapped in a mystery of just, wonderfulness. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. Cause I'm like, I have been begging her to come on the show and she brought me a bounty of people to interview and she did not yes. click the shiny red button to make a date for the two of us to talk. She is yes. an enigma. That is like perfectly said. I keep, I keep sending her messages. So when are you booking yours? She's not going to, she is See, an enigma. <laughs> that, that is. And yeah, she, she is going to be named one of our honorary bunks. And I always do like a little, <gasps> Um, nice. a, a write-up, you know, like a like a blurb, not a bio. And she's like, I don't know. And I and I was like, we can just put secret. And she said, mm. I like that. And I said, that's fine. You can 
you don't, whatever you want to disclose is completely fine with me. So she is, she's just a force. She's, we were calling, when I, when I met her, we were calling her the, um, the F, the F force, the F factor, the F factor. (laughs) I love that. She is just this incredible support and connector. And she has, um, you know, such amazing eye for artists and she's an artist herself. Oh yeah. Her work is breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. So I feel so fortunate to have people like that come into my worlds and like, it's It's amazing. It really is. It's amazing. I I'm really happy that we met and I don't even want to end this interview, but um, I know you have kids that are waiting for you in the other room. So um, we will put all of the links um, in the show notes, but if you want to tell everybody how to reach you and what the mint address is for Wonk, so maybe they can go check it out. That'd be great. Well, Wonks is available like on OpenSea or several of the other because it's it's you know sold out. But uh, Wonks.xyz is our um, is the uh, website, and uh, Wonks NFT is our Twitter handle. So that would be and then Blam, uh, which is B L A M dot I O, is the platform is our no code um, generation platform for all of your contract needs. No, see, that's perfect. So people who are listening to this, if you want to build your own, um, you can use that platform to get you from your idea to open C, right? Yep, absolutely. So great. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for coming on Culture Factor. We'll definitely please please be in touch. So I'm so glad we spent the time together. Me too. So what do you think? I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Wherever you leave a message, know that I'll engage with you, and others will too. I may even share your thoughts on the show. This summer is coming in hot. Please share this episode of Culture Factor now and listen with your friends. It's always more fun that way. And don't forget the Harmony Wine Rosé. Season four of Culture Factor is produced by Pale Blue Studios.